When 2020 began, nobody could have predicted what was about to happen. But here we are. Here we are in living rooms and in kitchens and patios and on hillsides and highways all over Virginia, all over the United States and even the world. Here we are reaching more people than ever before, living out our purposes to know God and to discover purpose and to get real and to make a difference and to be the change. We're seeing old relationships deepen and new ones begin through online groups that pray and support and study and even sing together. We're seeing people engage and give and share like never before. We're helping people like never before. And we're seeing people connect with our church who have never gone to church before. We pushed hard to make online church an engaging, meaningful experience for families to connect with God and with each other. Nobody could have predicted a pandemic, but the power of God cannot be confined. So here we are. Your church is thriving and we're still focused on the mission that God gave us 18 years ago to reach people who don't go to church so that we can all experience the fullest lives possible through Jesus Christ. So whether you're with us online today or in one of our physical locations, here we are together. Get ready to experience the presence of God. Get ready to worship like never before. Get ready because no matter what is going on in the world around us, we trust in the one who knew all along where we'd be right now. So come with us and let's turn our attention to him right now. Welcome to church. Yes, sir. Welcome to church. I'm so glad to see you here today. I want to invite you to be present with us as we begin our time together. We're going to start today with a little bit of scripture. I'm going to read to you from the book of Psalms, the 24th chapter. Here's what it says. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of Jesus is our King of glory, and we are here today to celebrate Him, yes? Let's stand up together, whatever you seek today, if you need healing, if you need help, if you seek peace, you are in the right place, because Jesus is our King of glory, and He can transform our lives. Let's sing together. Oh, don't lose heart. Don't forget He is Lord 
here in the room waiting for our worship. So would you lift your voice with us as we sing? Let's sing this next part together. Nations bow, mountains shake, and the sound of just one name over all Jesus reigns, I know.
So good. 
Yes, He is.
Listen, would you take a moment to pray with me right now? Would you pray with me? God, you are so good. That's why we come here today and we worship and praise. We thank you for this day. You breathe life into earth again and life into us. And with that life, we come here to worship and to draw closer to you. God, thank you for leading us down a right path and bringing us together. Wherever we are today, Lord, we're thankful for you and for your name and for your power, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
I bet you didn't expect that. But it's, it's true. Glory days will pass you by, won't they? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had that remind me of that song. Guys talking about what great athletes they were in high school or college. How they could have gone pro if not for this injury or that job. Or women reminiscing about what they believe to be the pinnacle of their beauty long since past. See, my wife is famous for this. She'll look at old pictures and talk about the days of no wrinkles or gray hair while I just stare in amazement at the beauty before me. The older I get, the more I find myself doing this too. Usually with little things like the cost of gas or a gallon of milk or the days when we can hug and shake hands without the real or implied threat of impending illness. And don't even get me started on a loaf of bread. But it's funny because I never really remember how much I, how little I actually made when things were cheap. I think our minds have a way of tricking us into believing that those times were greater than they really were. And I think if we're totally honest, many of us, maybe even all of us, have some things in our past that no matter how you look at them, they definitely aren't the glory days. Now I've stood on this platform and many like it and talked about my past if you've been around our church for any length of time at all you've heard some small part of it brian even mentioned it a few weeks ago i want to tell you a little secret while you or someone else may hear about my past about who and where i was compared to where i am now and they find it inspiring but for me it's still just my past it's a laundry list of all the times in my life when I failed, when I hurt others, when I didn't measure up. My past, just like yours, reminds us of opportunities missed, of mistakes made, and of things we've lost. So how do we shift our focus? How do we avert our gaze from the things that were to the things that await us? We're in the middle of this series right now called Horizon. And we've reimagined our ability to dream again. We've spent difficult, even fearful time facing giants in our lives. And today we're going to approach another crucial step in moving into the future that God has for us. Take another stride towards the horizon. But there's a funny thing about the horizon. It's always in front of us. So in order to see it, we have to follow one simple rule. Don't look back. All right, that was pretty easy. I think we'll sing another song and head home. I must be getting good in this whole preaching thing. Uh, except it's not that easy, is it? As a matter of fact, it seems nearly impossible to let go of all the stuff that got us here. The stuff that feels like it made us who we are. The stuff that shapes us. And this is not a new problem. It's not unique to the situation we currently find ourselves in. In the book of Genesis, Genesis is the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, there's a story about a guy named Lot. Lot's uncle was Abraham, who you might have heard of, and God told Lot to go somewhere else. He called Lot and his wife to leave a place called Sodom, where they were, and go somewhere new. And this was a good thing for Lot and his wife. 
They had a chance to move out of the struggles that they were surrounded by in Sodom, which was not a great place to live. This was like the original sin city, and it was about to be destroyed. So God provides them the chance to move into something better, something greater. And there was a single requirement. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. Again, it sounds simple. Don't look back. What comes after this is uh, one of the strangest things to happen in the Bible. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know why Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. That's way above my pay grade. Makes my blood pressure go up just thinking about it. Thank you. Uh, little dad joke. Uh, but I don't want to get sidetracked. Let's go bring it back in. Uh, because I want you to think with me for just a minute about what she was asked to do. Don't look back. The angels didn't say don't think back, don't talk back, don't remember back, don't double back. And to be frank, after the day that they had been having, I wouldn't blame them for knocking one back. He said, don't look back. Why was it so hard for her not to look back? I imagine the reason why she struggled to do something that seemed so simple was because what was back there was comfortable, familiar. She knew what was back there, whether it was good or bad. And the horizon that lay before her was uncertain, unknown, uncomfortable. You see, the past is a complex concept full of things that have happened to us and things we chose. Places we found ourselves in and places we went to. People who entered our lives and people we gravitated towards. Our past is full of highs and lows, successes and failures, dreams fulfilled and broken hearts. So how do we shift our gaze from that which has gone by to the divine beauty and promise of what's on the horizon. The book of Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament. And then the 28th chapter, which is the last chapter of Matthew's story, the life of Jesus. If you've never read Matthew 28, I really want to encourage you to do so, but I'm going to give you a quick overview, so stick with me and pay attention. It opens with these two women named Mary. They're on their way to Jesus' tomb. He's been crucified. He's dead. The movement shattered and all hope is lost. When they get to the tomb, it's empty. So on their way back to tell the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they see Jesus and they fall flat on their faces before him. And to be honest, if it was me, I'd be flat on my face too. Because I would have been terrified. I bet they were scared too. Because this guy was dead. They saw him die. And he's strolling down the street like nothing happened. He actually says to them, don't be afraid. What's well, easy for you to say, you didn't just see a dead guy. So Jesus sends Mary to the disciples. And when they meet up later, 
Jesus gives them what we call the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And this is where we usually leave off. This is where we take our charge and head out. But in what are the final parting words of the writer, who could have ended such an amazing and life-changing story in a thousand different places, he reminds us that some of the most potent words of Jesus and the importance for you and me when it comes to the past. The very last line, something we all need to remember when dealing with our past. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I am with you. Not I was. I am. Here and now, in the present, and to the end of the age. You see, Jesus isn't concerned with your past, with who you used to be. He cares about who you are now and helping you to be the person God designed you to be. But if we're being honest, being that person is impossible without letting go of the past. See, in order to move towards the horizon, we have to accept the past. See, God wants us to learn from the past, but he doesn't want us to live there. Let me say that one more time. God wants us to learn from our past. He doesn't want us to live there. I'm not saying we have to agree with what's happened, but we need to stop giving it so much of our time. We need to stop letting our past define our reality there's plenty we can learn from our past but it only serves a purpose if it informs what is actually happening now now i'm in no way dismissing any trauma you may have experienced please please hear me loud and clear what i am saying isn't that we have to accept something that has happened to us but accept that it is behind us and it's beyond our control. So I was thinking about this. I couldn't help but think about driving because I love to drive too fast most of the time. Um, but one of the most important rules of driving is to keep your eyes on the road, right? And how do we do that most effectively? Do you use the windshield or the rearview mirror? Of course we use the windshield. It's larger. It gives us a better field of view. It helps us to see what's in front of us, what lies ahead. The rearview mirror only shows us where we've been. And I don't think it's by accident that one is much bigger than the other. So if I drive down the road staring at the rearview mirror, I'm going to get into an accident. Why would we expect our lives to be any different? There's a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah who said these words. Forget about what happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? Except we can't see it. Not when our focus is on what's behind See, if our only focus is on what we did or didn't do back there, we're going to miss what God wants to do in here. 
have to remember, our past shapes us. It does not define us. Our past shapes us. It does not define us. This is hard and often difficult for many, maybe even all of us. When I first got out of prison, before I got married or had a relationship with Jesus, I was a son, a brother, an uncle, an American, an Arizona native, and the list went on and on and on. But if you would have asked me who I was, how I would define myself, what descriptors, descriptors would I have used? Felon. It was the first thing that would come to mind long before any of those others. See, it was as if my own mental inventory consisted only of the things I had done wrong, the negative and hurtful pieces of my past. See, I was actually more comfortable with the mistakes than I was with the blessings. Does that sound familiar? William Shakespeare once wrote, What's past is prologue. You see, at that time in my life, I was living in the prologue. And there was no way for me to fully realize all that God wanted for me until I moved past the prologue so he could write the rest of the story. The past is the introduction. It's the setting of a stage for what's to come. And it's most certainly a part of who we are, but it can't be the primary focus. Because the reality is, there's nothing we can do about the past. It is past. Once you have an acceptance of that truth, you can allow it to inform your present. Well, we can't allow ourselves to get stuck in the past. We can't ignore it either. Winston Churchill once said, Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And Jesus knew this better than anyone. The New Testament is full of times when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, in an effort to remind the people he was speaking to, which includes you and me, by the way, not to forget what was, because it has a direct impact on what's to come. You remember the scripture we looked at a few minutes ago about Lot's wife. Jesus actually refers to it in the book of Luke. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. See, Jesus thought it was important enough to bring up, not to relive the past, but so we wouldn't repeat it. Because all of those things in our past, they inform what happens in our present. You know, I've gotten to a place in my life now where my past doesn't hold a lot of sway over me. God's done such a miraculous thing that I oftentimes honestly just forget all about it. I'm just another productive member of society living my best life. I have almost every freedom and right that everyone else has. Almost. See, I can't vote or own a gun. It's not a huge deal. But it's still something that I felt was holding me back from having every freedom, from truly living into who God has made me now. So a few weeks ago, I decided to contact an attorney in Arizona to begin the process of getting those rights restored. 
And he, I left a message for him, and when he called me back to discuss my case, I was reminded of the past that I had chosen to forget. I can never own a gun. Well, maybe never is a strong word. If the governor of Arizona wanted to, wanted to he could give me a pardon. But between you and me, the chances of that happening are about the same as me becoming an astronaut. You and I may be completely different people than we used to be. But that doesn't change the fact that the past will always inform the present. So if we've accepted the past as past, we've allowed it to inform our present in healthy and productive ways, then we can look to the horizon and envision the future. I remember uh, when Brian first asked me to get up on this very platform and tell my story to the church. And we were standing in the back of my living room after small group, and when he asked, he got a hard no. Because there was no way I was going to stand up here and talk about all my junk, all the things that I had done. Because I was certain of one thing. Everyone was going to get up as soon as I started talking and just walk out. Because I had accepted my past, I'd let it inform my present, but I refused to see what God was doing on the horizon. Because I couldn't envision anything that big for me. But God could. All I had to do was say no to the past that I had created and say yes to the future that God imagined. I don't know what your future looks like, what plans you have, or how intimately tied they are to what's back there. God does. But he's got something so much bigger waiting for you and me. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brian taught us what it's like to dream again. Not about survival or success, but God-sized dreams. Those very same dreams of what's ahead, what's on the horizon, are tied directly to our ability to move from the past and envision the future. Just kind of wondering, somebody's here today. It feels like they're ready. Feels a glimmer of hope about what's on the horizon. Feels the desire to leave the past behind and stop looking back. To begin to dream again. Maybe that's you. And you're ready and you wonder, how? You want to know, what do I do? How do I start? To be frank. I don't know if anybody did this better than the Apostle Paul. He's the same guy who wrote much of the New Testament. And after being beaten and arrested and run out of town more than once, he went on to write some of the more than a few encouraging letters to churches he had planted. In one of those letters to a church in a place called Philippi, he said this, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made. But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. 
By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. And I'm not turning back. Paul had a past. One that was all screwed up. At one point, he was a champion at hunting down and killing people who followed Jesus. He had all kinds of issues. He's a guy with a messed up past. And his present, to be honest, wasn't much better. Sure, I mean, he was a follower of Jesus, but he was confined to house arrest, which is no fun, by the way, in case you were wondering. But he was envisioning the future with his eyes on the goal, and he wasn't turning back. I don't know what there is behind you, what you've done or what's been done to you. What I do know is that God is making a way for you and me for something greater on the horizon. Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't have to do it alone, but we do have to do our part. We need to accept the past for what it is, past, while still learning from it and letting it inform who we are in the present so that we can envision a God-sized future on the horizon. Let's look again at what Paul said. I'm not saying I have this all together, that I have it made. But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Jesus has reached out for every single one of us. He's invited you into a relationship with him, no questions asked. Your past can be forgiven. Your present can be grounded. Your future can be full of hope. You can find healing and restoration because Jesus can literally transform your life. Just like Paul. You can reach out to him to begin a relationship with him or renew your commitment to him. Placing your faith in Jesus isn't complicated. Your past can stay in the past and your future will unfold in the future. But right now, in the present, you can simply say, I believe, I believe that you, Jesus, are the way and the truth and the life. I want to set my eyes on you. A new horizon, I believe. I want to invite you to stand wherever you are right now and respond to what God might be saying to you about your horizon.